Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Capital Weekly Podcast. Today's episode was recorded live Thursday, May 26th at California Votes, a forum devoted to examining the ballot initiatives that we will be voting on in November. The topic for today's panel discussion is Proposition 29 on kidney dialysis requirements. California Votes, a 2022 election preview, was presented as part of Capital Weekly's California Conference Series. Support for California Votes was provided by the Coalition for Safe Responsible Gaming, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations, Western States Petroleum Association, KP Public Affairs, Perry Communications, Capital Advocacy, and California Professional Firefighters. I really want to thank them for their support of this discussion about uh, about what we'll all be voting on come November. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to our moderator. Our moderator today for this panel is Zigrid Bothan. Zigrid is a longtime uh, journalist in Sacramento. She has written most notably probably for the Sacramento Bee. And I'm proud to say she has written quite a bit for Capital Weekly as well. Uh, recently, she has focused almost exclusively on mental health issues. And we have a whole series of articles at capitalweekly.net of Sigrid's byline that I think have been instrumental in following the development of that discussion. And uh, Certainly, I don't know that there's a discussion that's higher profile right now than that. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Zigrid. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. Um, I'm going to make this a brief brief intro um, and then go to uh, summaries by each of the panelists. I'm going to try to stay out of this as much as possible and ask, ask uh, some questions. Measures to require increased regulation of kidney dialysis clinics have appeared on two previous California ballots in 2018 and 2020 both failing by wide margins at huge cost to both sides. Proponents, primarily the Service Employees International Union, United Healthcare West, have again introduced a measure for the November 2022 ballot, which would require a physician, nurse practitioner, or physician assistant to be on site during treatment if outpa- at outpatient kidney dialysis clinics with an exemption for staffing shortages if a qualified medical prof- professional is available through telehealth. The measure would require clinics to disclose to patients all physicians with clinic ownership interests of 5% or more and require clinics to report dialysis-related infection data to the state. It would prohibit clinics from closing or substantially reducing services without state approval and from refusing to treat patients based on source of payment. As healthcare writer Victoria Colliver observed recently in the Politico article, Quote, California voters are beginning to feel trapped in the electoral version of Groundhog Day. For the third straight election cycle, they are being asked to make complex decisions about kidney dialysis, close quote. We're very fortunate to be joined today by two experts on this highly controversial issue, one pro, one con. A tough subject to cover in 45 minutes, and we'll leave time for questions from viewers toward the end. You can view complete bios and other information in the online program on the Capital Weekly website. Kathy Fairbanks is a veteran public affairs strategist with more than two decades experience, specializing in communications plans for clients that include Fortune 100 companies, trade associations, nonprofits, and political coalitions. This includes overall strategic planning, media relations, crisis communications, and overseeing the day-to-day implementation of these campaigns. Kathy has headed communications plans for many legislative campaigns and statewide ballot measures 
on issues as diverse as education, healthcare, agriculture, transportation, land use, state and local finance, housing, and the environment. A partner in Bicker, Castillo, and Fairbanks, Kathy was previously the Vice President for Media Relations at the California Chamber of Commerce. She also worked at Burson, Marsteller, and, and at Sturza, Zegas, Metzger, and Hunt, both prominent Sacramento political public affairs firms. She is a UCLA graduate with a double major in economics and English. Kathy is the principal spokeswoman for opponents of the November dialysis measure as she was for the previous two measures. David Miller is research director for SEIU United Healthcare Workers West, a healthcare union of more than 100,000 members, the principal sponsor of the dialysis initiative. With over 20 years in health policy and research, he has developed dozens of ballot measures, won numerous legislative victories, and previously advised Labor's representative on the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, or MedPAC, an independent congressional agency established to advise Congress on issues affecting the Medicare program, including access to and quality of care. Miller earned his Master of Divinity degree at the Pacific School of Religion and began his career working with religious orders to implement social change. I'd like to start by asking each of you to provide a brief description of your position on the measure, some of the history, and then we'll go into further discussions and questions. Thank you so much for participating. Kathy, you want to start first? If we're going to go be, go be alphabetical here. Well, I was thinking David, I mean, I can, or David can go first since he's okay. representing the yes side. Sure, sure. Yeah. So let me go through the, the measure. Um, I think ultimately it's not that complex. I mean, if you, if you take away anything um, from this conversation, it's that we're trying to add um, advanced staff or a physician to a clinic. Uh, we think of a, a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant uh, being present at a dialysis clinic is going to improve care. We think there's a desperate need for more care on the ground. We think this will help folks. We think there's millions and millions of treatments um, over the last few years in California that are not actually to medical standards. We think there needs to be greater supervision. Uh, and so, you know, we think if you walk away with one thing from this conversation is we want to add an advanced practitioner to the clinics, we think it'll improve quality, right? And then, so uh, you talked about uh, ballot measures that we had filed in the past. And I want to say that we have moved our position um, closer to uh, the no side. We heard some of their criticisms last time. Uh, last time it was physicians, we've added nurse practitioners um, and physician assistants to help tackle the shortage. Uh, we added telehealth uh, you know, as a consideration at their position when they talked about the shortage, that folks now can uh, use telehealth if there's a bona fide shortage so that um, you know, folks can get the expert care that they need on the ground when they're working in the clinic if there is a true shortage. Um, and then they also criticized us for that the practitioners didn't need a nephrology background. So we've added a six month requirement uh, before you start um, working the clinic. So uh, the, thing, the ballot measure really does three things. So that's the staffing piece uh, and we've moved towards the other side's position. Uh, you mentioned the infections thing, which is obviously important. It's important to know, especially healthcare quality associated infections to know, you know what's going on inside the, the clinic that's important for our consumers. And then the other big disclosure piece, which we are approached on in between the last two ballots is investigative journalists and academics have approached us and said that they're a bunch of secret owners of dialysis clinics. Um, they're physicians and they've entered into joint partnerships with publicly traded companies. Uh, and they wanna be able to study these. They wanna be able to know if the quality of care is different in the, in the joint ventures. They wanna be able to see if it impacts the care when people start dialysis, uh, what the patient mix looks like. So um, 
you know, we think that's an important issue to get to the surface and that's new in this ballot measure. Um, and then we also had protections, which um, we had last time. Um, so uh, clinics can't discriminate against payers by type. There's some really perverse and economic incentives in this industry. Um, for example, the commercial insurance rates pay four or five times what Medicare does. And sometimes I've seen bills up as 10 times. So there's a huge economic incentive to treat commercial folks. And we wanna make sure that the Medicare patients and the Medicaid patients don't get squeezed out. So we put in a non-discrimination. You can't discriminate against a Medicare patient or a Medicare patient, or for that matter, a commercial patient. And then we put in protections against closing. So it allows folks to regulate, it allows the folks to regulate a closer. It, it allows the state to help find um, another buyer if somebody wants to exit the market so that we have an orderly transition if anybody wants to close a, cl a clinic or reduce access. Um, so again, like if you remember one thing from our, you know, this conversation, it's, you know, we wanna add a care provider, an advanced care provider to the clinic. We think uh, we need to do something to improve the care for dialysis patients. And we think this is an important first step. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> sure, um, I will start by sort of looking backward, if you will. Um, starting with 2018 and Proposition 8, Sigrid, you mentioned that it failed by big, a big margin, 20 points back in 2018. Um, every editorial board in California opposed it as well. And mm -hmm. I mentioned that because I know there are a lot of public affairs types on this call and you know that's a third party validation, not us, the editorial boards opposed it. Um, it failed. Uh, UHW on election night said, we'll be back in two years and we're gonna do some other stuff in the legislature. Okay, so 2020, we had Proposition 23 on the ballot that failed by 23 points. Again, was opposed by every single editorial board in California, um, recognizing you know some of the comments were, this is going to be bad for patients. It's gonna increase healthcare costs for everyone. Um, some of the editorials even mentioned the word extortion, blackmail, things like that. Um, now we've, now we're in 2022 and we've got essentially a carbon copy of Proposition 23 being floated again, two years later by UHW. Um, they didn't, you know, we, we went through the language line by line and 90% of the text is exactly the same. They didn't even come back with something new and different. Um, it does five things. Four of the five things are either already happening today or one of the provisions is in fact illegal. Um, the fifth provision is the one that we'll probably talk the most about, the requirement to have a physician or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant on site at all times. Um, I wanna spend a second to go over our big picture concerns with this initiative, and then talk a little bit about the state of dialysis in California and, and who dialysis patients are. So our big picture objections to this new 2022 initiative are very similar to our objections from Proposition 23. First and foremost, this is horrible for patients. It puts their lives at risk. Dialysis patients are very, very vulnerable. The reason this puts their lives at risk is because at the one requirement that I mentioned about having a physician or a physician assistant or nurse practitioner on site at all times is going to cost each individual clinic several hundred thousands of dollars a year. That's not our campaign saying that, that's the independent nonpartisan legislative analyst saying that. That is a significant cost. And as you all know from physics, for every action, there's a reaction. And if clinics can't 
operate in the black and they're facing these higher costs to operate, they have to do you know, one of two things, cut back services, bad for patients, or close, very bad for patients. Um, dialysis patients need dialysis to stay alive. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, our second objection is that this increases healthcare costs for all Californians. Um, this page, dialysis patients um, are, uh, CalPERS provides services for dialysis patients, so does Medi-Cal, managed care and Medi-Cal fee-for-service. We estimate that this initiative will cost the state of California hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And obviously that trickles down to taxpayers and consumers in the form of higher taxes or higher healthcare costs. Number three, this worsens emergency room overcrowding. It will um, really put a dent in our ability to get more healthcare workers online. Um, as I mentioned, if dialysis clinics close, uh, dialysis patients need dialysis to stay alive. And if they don't have a clinic to go to, they will show up in the hospital emergency room. That is obviously not the most optimal place for dialysis patients to be treated. Um, also, staffing hundreds of, uh, actually in the thousands, either a, do a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, putting them in ad administrative roles in dialysis clinics where they have no authority to prescribe treatment for patients is a waste of their services. We've got, we, we're, we've got healthcare burnout. We've got problems finding nurses in hospitals. Um, we need more healthcare providers treating patients, not uh, staffing dialysis clinics. So those are our big overarching objectives uh, or objections. And obviously, you know, there's a problem when the same one single union, trade or union, is sponsoring and putting initiatives on the ballot every two years. It undercuts voters' you know, belief in the elections. This is you know, something that we don't think UHW really intends on seeing enacted. Otherwise, they wouldn't recycle the same exact initiative two times in a row. Um, so those are our big objections. And then I just want to spend a second to talk about dialysis in general. Um, there are 80,000 dialysis patients in California. California, there are about 600 or so clinics. Um, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services oversees all dialysis clinics in the nation. They track patient quality care, and they also poll the patients asking them how they feel about their care. How do you feel about your clinic? How do you feel about your doctor? How do you feel about the staff in the clinics? Um, on both metrics, quality care that CMS tracks and patient satisfaction scores, again, which CMS tracks, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, California performs at above the national average. So this idea that dialysis care is falling in California, that it's flailing, that patients aren't getting good care is not true. Um, it's also important to, I just wanna level set for everybody about kind of what dialysis is. Um, you know, I think everybody knows that it means your kidneys have failed. And if your kidneys fail, you will die. If you can't, you know, your, your kidneys clean your blood from toxins, clean, clean fluids out of your blood. And so dialysis is the process of having a machine do the work of your kidneys. Dialysis patients need treatment three times a week for about four hours at a time. This is a significant change in their lives. When, dialysis, when patients have end-stage renal disease, which is kidney failure, and they go on dialysis, Many of them no longer work. They're very sick. Um, some of them don't drive. 
They generally have three comorbidities, diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure are three of the most common ones, cancer. So these are very sick patients and they rely on dialysis. They need dialysis to stay alive and they need clinics nearby that they can get to easily that can take them in and can give them dialysis. Um, it is so important for their care that just one missed dialysis treatment um, risks or increases their risk of death or mortality risk by 30%. So when I say dialysis is life support and it, it literally, literally is, and I think David would agree with that. Um, so, you know, that's why we have such a strong coalition and we've had such a strong coalition going back in 2020 and 2018 of groups that oppose uh, and groups that are now opposing this measure. The California Medical Association strongly opposes. All the medical societies are coming on board, the no side. Um, the Renal Physicians Association opposes. The American Nurses Association opposes. Patients and their families oppose. They're all worried, what does this mean for my, you know, my patient, my, myself, if I'm a dialysis patient, or my, you know, my loved one who has dialysis, how are they going to be impacted by this? And our concern, this is really very dangerous and puts their lives at risk. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, we're gonna have to watch time here. We're already at 1.33 PM. So um, I don't wanna overemphasize strategy here. Many things can change before November, but obviously there are questions which Kathy has raised why, about why SEIU continues to pursue essentially the same initiative. David, you say there are some changes in the current initiative after repeated expensive election failures with wide margins and all the negative negative editorials. Can you speak to that, please? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th I think I'd first to just challenge that, um, you know, uh, just the, the election, you know, results. Um, you know, we outperformed a sitting president of the United States. We got more votes than Donald Trump. And I don't, or the other side calling that the Republican Party shouldn't field a presidential candidate because they got less votes than us. We got 6.1 6 million votes. So we have a pretty um, sizable coalition. Um, we're bigger than the MAGA movement in terms of voters in California. And I think everybody knows how consequential the Donald Trump movement is in California. So uh, I think we see ourselves as part of a healthcare movement. We're getting millions of votes. We do um, beyond dialysis. We're also filing other types of ballot measures. Um, you know, we're doing a medical debt in Arizona, we're doing minimum wage, that we really see ourselves part of a big movement and that this is just one of the many pieces that we're moving forward. Um, so in the context, you know, we see ourselves as movement building. We have, we outperformed the Republican Party, we outperformed Donald Trump. Um, we think that gives us a ton of credibility and that isn't, you know, and that, that's where we're coming from and we're building steam and we intend to reform uh, the industry, you know, not just dialysis, but across sort of across the board, um, you know, and this, the, the cost issue too, I just want to tackle that it was raised. Like, this is not a giant expense in the scheme of things. They are, the Fresenius and DeVita are going to send billions and billions of dollars back to their shareholders. And this cost is actually pretty diminutive in terms of what they are returning to their shareholders. So I, I feel like there's like just a lot of fear mongering going on. This is really about getting patients an extra help um, in the clinic, an advanced caregiver. CMS has uh, a metric, um, it's known as UFR, ultrafiltration rate is sort of how fast the speed of dialysis goes. They require dialysis clinics to publish it above 13. 
uh, is considered very troubling. And there are millions and millions and millions of cases of above 13 in California dialysis clinics because of poor supervision. Um, and this needs to get fixed. We need to do better for dialysis patients. Some say the primary SEIU strategy is to, quote, force a unionized workforce in the dialysis industry. But as you point out, others say that oversimplifies the issue that questions of excessive profits, lack of transparency, monopolistic business practices, and quality of care are the real issues. Is, is, is that really what we're talking about here? Or is this an effort to wear down the industry? Now we, we are, listen, we, our coalition is patients and healthcare workers. Their coalition is shareholders and companies. No, that's not true. That's absolutely <laughs> so, not true. So doctors, I, think, I think you're having a fight between you know, legitimate competition between interests. We're trying to get folks more, more, more health. We're trying to get better clinical outcomes and they're trying to keep the status quo. I think that's what this fight is about. I think that's fundamentally what the fight is about. I think the fight is about protecting patients and trying to ward off attacks on patients year after election, after election, after election. Um, you know, UHW has spent nearly $100 million of its members' money on 60 ballot measures that they filed statewide just in the last 10 years. Um, 58 million is just in California alone on 23 ballot measures. Not one of, not one of those ballot measures has passed, not one. 58 or 23 ballot measures, 58 million down the toilet in California. Um, so, you know, this is, I think, a failed strategy. As I mentioned, you know, groups, other unions and consumer groups have called them out on this strategy. That's number one. Um, but backing up, I just want to talk a little bit about the one provision that, that we're sort of circling around but haven't really gotten into, which is the requirement that either a physician, a nurse practitioner, or a physician assistant be on site at all times when a dialysis clinic is offering treatment. Um, number one, that, that requirement is not necessary. And let me explain why. Every dialysis clinic has, it's, this is a requirement from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Every single dialysis clinic in California and the nation must have a medical director on staff. Now, that medical director is responsible for overseeing the overall treatment quality in the dialysis clinic. Every single patient also has his or her own dialysis care team, which includes a dialysis, especially trained dialysis nurse, especially trained dialysis technician, um, social workers, and dietitians. On top of that, every single patient has his or her own nephrologist. It is that nephrologist, their own personal doctor, nephrologist, who oversees all their kidney care. They're the ones who determine treatment times. They're the ones who determine the drugs they take. They're the ones who determine how much fluid is, you know, needs to be pulled off and what the to toxins are need they, to be. Are they present when the patients are receiving dialysis? Many times, yes, because one of the requirements is that physicians round on their patients not only when they're getting dialysis. So not only do they see them in their offices, but they also have to round like while they're sitting in the chair. <laughs> right. But remember, remember, remember that the clinics are staffed by nurses and techs. 
this is, you know, I mean, think about an ICU ward at the hospital. I think what David is alleging is that the nurses and the techs are incapable of carrying out dialysis treatments. They're incapable of carrying out doctor's orders. That's insulting. Of course they're capable. You know, they're, they're very good. You, you want to unionize these, these work, these employees. And they're very, they're, they're good employees. They're valued. They do their job well. Um, but these additional positions are not necessary. It's not necessary to have an additional doctor on site or an, a nurse practitioner or physician assistant. They don't have any role. They can't do anything. If the patient or if the, di if the dialysis patient's treatment needed to be changed, that physician on site couldn't do anything. They would have to call the physician's nephrologist. Let's shift the discussion. This is not a debate. It's a discussion. <laughs> not, or not, not that close to November, but it, it's important. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned um, you know, journalistic exploration and transparency issues. Um, according to Scientific American, a, a very in-depth piece that ran in December 2020, an investigative piece, the number of outpatient dialysis centers nearly doubled between 2001 and 2011. But with that boom came a wave of consolidation. And, and today, some 70%, the figures seem to vary depending on the state, but it's a high figure. Of all dialysis clinics in the US are owned by just two firms, Davida and Fresenius. Again, that discussion requires far more than 45 minutes. But how do those concerns about consolidation factor into the debate over the initiatives, as well as the very high profit, as high as 18%, which is much higher than um, other healthcare? The initiative does nothing. It oh. has, has nothing, nothing about <laughs> oh, consolidation yeah. <laughs> or anything. Can so, we please start? I mean, okay, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. I mean, sorry. look, Thank look. The, the fundamental matter here is, is there's an enormous amount of money that could be directed towards patient care. And we are looking at putting a physician into the clinic to help make the care better. There's money pouring out of these clinics left and right. There's no shortage of resources to make care better. And we think that those resources should be used that way. And I think also one of the more disturbing things about duopolies or monopolies is consumer choice declines. Like, so if you don't like one of these two companies, you can't go to another company to get a different experience. That isn't true. That's a flat out. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? You got 85% of the market locked No, up. it's 70%. <laughs> and there are nonprofit providers. In California, nonprofit dialysis providers make up more than 10% of the market here. You've got... Yeah independent yeah. providers and you've got smaller dialysis. That's providers. not enough to handle patient choice. <laughs> so I think it's very, very detrimental to patient choice what's happened. Um, and again, this is why you need greater scrutiny and greater you know, you know, regulation on this industry. It's a highly consolidated, it can leverage out all sorts of money from commercial payers. It can drive up healthcare costs. And then as soon as you say, hey, let's make a quality improvement, they're like, it's gonna kill people. And you're just like, this is not true. There is so much money they're extracting. But they don't what even does have your to initiative do? What does your initiative do along those lines? You aren't We doing put a physician in an office where there's millions know, of bad treatments being- What would that physician do all day? So that physician would help adjust prescriptions. That's no, not they cannot. That, that is, they cannot. That, no, that is what happens right now with the medical directors. Yes, they can. Like, no. I don't know if you've- Legally, they them. can't. That is not what happens. That is just not true. No, as far as, it's out of scope. But as far, excuse me, as far as the ownership of these dialysis clinics, which have expanded exponentially uh, due to demand, due to the aging of the population, 
Um, the Scientific American article pointed out that uh, clinics are attractive investment options for young nephrologists, which are kidney specialists, for those who aren't familiar, raising questions about potential conflicts of interest. How would you respond to that, Kathy? Well, I think, you know, what, what they've done, you know, they, they, that is a provision. I think that that's where they're going with the, the new provision that they've added in this new ballot measure to require um, dialysis providers to notify patients if the physician, if any physician has more than a 5% ownership stake in the, in the dialysis clinic. Um, that's already information that is provided to the state of California. This is what I say that four of the five provisions are either already happening today or the one provision, there's one provision that's considered illegal. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, okay, it's in there, but it's already happening today. I suppose it wouldn't be that big of a deal to post something in the lobby and hand out a piece of paper to new patients. I don't know that that's that big of a deal, but the yeah. notification is already happening today. Yeah, they don't comply. We've actually requested those files um, and the companies don't fill them out. So um, it's actually not working. That's why we need much stronger, more public disclosure of these. So um, we think that's actually a critical point of, that people want to be able to study this. They want the information published. They want it to be very thorough. We've, gold, we've gone for a gold standard of disclosure here. I think people should be able to study these things and know if, you know, getting into business, getting treatment from a, for, you know, from a nephrologist that's in business with a publicly traded company that you're getting the same care that you might from one of the nonprofit centers you just met, you know, mentioned that this is incredibly important information to know. Um, and we and think it should be disclosed. And we would encourage agreed. you guys to do it and voluntarily. It is disclosed. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, you know, it's being disclosed today. Similarly, we you spent know, months trying to get it. It's not disclosed. Trust me. You'd be seeing research products from us if it was disclosed. <laughs> okay. I have a question here. Uh, several academics have weighed in on this issue. And in fact, in the Politico article um, that I think you alerted me to, Kathy, which I appreciate, there hasn't been much coverage of this current initiative. Uh, Rebecca Given, a professor of labor studies at employment and at Rutgers University says the ballot measures can hurt the industry even if they aren't successful at the ballot box, but she pointed out it isn't a good look for DeVita and Fresenius, which are largely funded by Medicare dollars to keep spending their massive profits out of taxpayer money on political fights. Uh, David, you're a Medicare expert. What do you have any observations about that? I mean, I, honestly, they get most of their money out of the commercial um, folks mm -hmm. that they, they're really screwing CalPERS, Blue Shield, Blue Cross. Right. So it's um, not mostly Medicare. It, it's not mostly Medicare. Like they're, okay. if, you're, if you're a working person and have health insurance, Fresenius and DeVita are driving up your health care costs. You know, they're what Medicare pays 250 bucks for, you're going to pay 500, 1,000, 1,500 for because of the sort of economic power of these companies. And that's just not right, you know? So, well, uh, you most know. of the patients are low income and can't work. So, right. Most, most of their profits, and Davida says, Davida has a little chart about this, all comes out of commercially insured folks who have employer coverage, coverage from their employer. Yeah, 90% of dialysis patients are either on Medicare or Medi Cal because dialysis is one of the few, maybe two or three um, illnesses that Medicare will cover even if you're under 65. So patients spend, 
you know, if you're working and you have a job and all of a sudden you realize you need dialysis, um, it takes, you know, it's about an 18 month window between the time when the dialysis patient, you know, starts dialysis and then transfers off of their insurance, their private insurance, and then transfers to Medicare. Um, it's, you know, this has been happening for decades. Um, but just really quickly about the other provisions in the measure, I just, there's already a requirement in law, you can't discriminate against patients. As I mentioned, 90% of the patients are Medicare and Medi-Cal. They're getting treatment. The other, another provision in this ballot measure requires that you report infections to the state of California. <coughs> That's already happening. All that is reported to Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. In fact, that's how CMS determines its quality metric scores for dialysis centers. So adding a requirement to submit, submit the exact same information to the state of California is not a problem. David mentioned earlier a requirement that um, would, would require the state of California to approve any closures of clinics. If a clinic were operating in the red and had to shut down, the requirement in this ballot measure is that you have to go to the state, you have to get approval to shut down. This is the part that's illegal. This is, a, a, this, this is a, called a taking. You can't take someone's property. You can't force them to lose money without compensating them. So it would be deemed illegal by both the state of California and the US constitution to try and force a clinic to stay in operation if it's losing money. And you know, the only alternative would be if the state wanted to pay the dialysis providers to keep it running or buy the dialysis clinic. So this idea that there's not gonna be any harm, no harm, no foul, will prevent dialysis clinics from closing that are losing money, that's not gonna happen. People are going to lose access to dialysis and that is the problem with this ballot measure. We have some questions from uh, viewers. Uh, we've got about uh, 10 minutes here, so. Uh, what is the, the standard, uh, a question, what is the standard of this dialysis care in other countries? How does the current staffing, et cetera, here in the U.S. compare with what is the standard in other places? David, can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, we're most familiar with Germany, actually, where Fresenius is headquartered. I mean, it, their dialysis is actually provided on a medical campus where there's a physician. It's actually part of the larger um, you know, sort of medical complex, you know, the United States, a lot of the dialysis clinics are um, in strip malls, um, are more, you know, distant from the medical center. So it's a very, very different. Um, and we talked to folks in Argentina and the physicians are on site on Argentina as well. We think the United States has a very anomalous um, uh, model where the physicians are not present. Uh, it's actually not tied in closer to the medical establishment, um, you know, and so that, you know, it, that's been our experience. So Fresenius is a German company. And yeah. there, so there are different standards in Germany, but they don't abide by the same standards yes. operating in this country. Is that correct? Yes, that's None correct. of the providers, Cal, you know, the United States has it, does it, does it its own way. I mean, I think originally when, you know, when people were starting to get dialysis, they were all, it all happened in hospitals and then it became cost prohibitive. And so outpatient dialysis centers were established to provide the same level of care and to provide excellent care for dialysis patients, but in a specific dialysis setting to take them out of the hospitals and into separate facilities. 
Yeah, and we think a lot of those cost savings have been lost by the duopoly that now exists. So, you know, with the Presenius and DePita figured out how to extract all the cost savings that were uh, gained. <laughs> so I've seen some articles about uh, home treatments becoming mm -hmm. more common. How is that going to impact the industry? I mean, we're generally, and we're supportive. We think the model needs to be worked out. I think CMS has noted that there's wide disparities um, amongst races in terms of who has access to home dialysis. Um, we think that, you know, folks need to take off sort of whole person look, you know, we think this involves other staff. Um, you know, we think it could be successful. We think the staffing model isn't quite right, um, but it, you know, treatment at home is a very good thing. It's, you know, the dialysis is much, much slower and safer. Um, than in clinic, um, you know. It's, I mean, not available. it's not available to people who can't afford it. And most dialysis patients it's, are poor and often people of color. And they need, more, they need more medical support. And we think they should get it if they're going to have home dialysis. And we think that's clinicians, it's social workers, it's, you know, folks going into the home and helping them. Right. And that's pointed out there are a lot of, you know, multiple medical conditions involved. That's why, yeah, and I think the dialysis providers are in support of, of moving more patients or, you know, patients who want home dialysis can, can get it. It doesn't cost anymore from what I understand, but the concern is, and I've talked to patients who are on the younger side in their 50s, let's say, um, who don't want to do home dialysis, even though it could be offered to them because they don't, you know, it's, it's not really all that easy, you know, you and, and it's, you know, you've got to have a certain amount of dexterity and you've got to keep track of everything going on. And so they prefer to go in clinic because they want a trained nurse and a trained technician to help them. And yeah. so there are a lot of patients who fall into that category that they would rather not do it themselves and they'd rather let the experts handle it. So there's quite a bit of discussion in that in the Scientific American two-parter, which uh, was published in, I think, December 2020. And a lot of video um, and, um, and interviews with actual patients about what they were experiencing. The home treatment issue was raised there. We have another question here. Um, a lot of the discussion has been about care, but isn't this really a union issue? If this goes down, would SEIU, UHW return to the ballot in 2024? Um, well, I mean, I can't talk about what we'll do in the, in the future. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we're building a movement. We got six million voters, um, you know, and, and we have a wide coalition of, of workers and patients and, you know, normal folks, um, you know, and so I, I think we see ourselves as, you know, building a movement here, um, you know, and that, you know, I don't know, it's like sort of not more complicated than that. We're all active all over the place on medical debt, um, minimum wages, um, you know, so, uh, you know, we're going to, we're, we're trying to make healthcare better. That's what we're trying to do, you know, and that making healthcare better is a union issue. <laughs> so I don't know what to tell you. Your president, uh, Dave Reagan, mm -hmm. said we obvious in response to a question from a reporter, he bristled at the suggestion that the close succession of measures which have cost the companies 216 million and counting are an organizing tactic. We obviously are a healthcare union, he said. Would we like to represent dialysis workers? Sure. Is this why we're doing this? No. That, that's exactly, that's 180 degrees from what he told his own board in 2017, which was ballot measures are a tool to exert union strength in bargaining. And he was quoted in the Sacramento Bee as saying they're the most cost-effective 
tool for bargaining, something along those lines. I mean, I think it's, you know, we just need to look at what's what's gone on from 2018 to 2020 and now to 2022 with a measure, you know, we, when, when Prop 23 first came out and, and the language was first made available because it was filed with the attorney general, we all kind of looked at it and thought, this is odd because, you know, UHW is aware that, that there's no discrimination. They're aware that infections and hospitalizations and all the um, patient data is already reported to CMS. So why include it in a ballot measure? Um, they're aware that you can't force a clinic to stay open and operate in the red. That's illegal. Yet they still filed this ballot measure that did all those things and then added the provision of, about having a physician in the, in the clinic on staff. And we thought, what do all these things have to do with one another? And why would they all be in an, in, in an initiative when three out of these four things are already happening? Um, and we figured out that what they must have done was pulled various provisions figured out the ones that pulled the best and stuck them in an initiative. And so I, th that, you know, they do pull well, the provisions that they've included in the initiative do pull well. Um, and so I think that's what, what motivated what we have now in 2022, which is the exact same measure that we had before it's prop 23 carbon copy with a couple, you know, changes here and there, and they're going to put that before voters again, they don't have any intention of, enacting these provisions. If they did, they would have drafted a different initiative. Yeah, and I just got to, we feel our ballot measure is fully legal. I just want to be on the record on that and that we've been through a pretty, uh, you know, very good legal process and we feel very good about the legality of what we're up to. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I just want to make sure to, you know, be on the record on that piece. Um, well, the major difference is that you're expanding the, the type of, yeah. of medical professional who would be on site um, beyond a physician, purely a physician. Um, a physician yeah. that wasn't required that. to have dialysis training or kidney background. I mean, it was, this was their Achilles heel last time around. And so rather than respond to, you know, what people want, it was, they recognized, yeah. uh-oh, we I screwed up. When we drafted it, now we're going to fix it and try. Just say, we're, we're the one trying to put, I, I fail to see how putting more clinicians into dialysis care is a bad thing. The companies can easily afford them. We think it's going to improve care. It's pretty straightforward. And I know there's all, you know, there's all this other stuff going on. It's just I, like, I think we just need to think we need to do something for dialysis patients. And I get all the other like, you know, brouhaha around some of this stuff, but it's like, Really, at the end of the day, we are pushing to make you know this care safer and better, um, you know, and that's yeah, that's what we're up to. And we wish the other side would, you know, instead of spending all the hundreds of millions of dollars trying to stop, you know, what's their idea to make care better? Where are they going with policy? Because it's right now we think dialysis clinics are pretty unsafe and pretty dangerous places. We totally, if that were the case, then why would Cal? I mean, again, it's not us saying that our clinics are doing a good job. This is the regulator. The federal yeah. regulator saying that we're yeah. above See. the national average, and, and yes, so there's always yeah. room for improvement. What is the national average? I mean, what does that it's mean? It's a, it's a, it's a five-point scale, I think now, or they they modified it, but it's it's you get scores one through five, and it just comes up as a number. Yeah, and CMS also has another metric that shows there's like millions and millions of bad treatments over a course of several years, and 
you know, so we think you should eliminate those. Let's start with the sure. eliminating. You know, I, you know. <laughs> well, obviously, this is a going to be a very heated issue again in the coming months. And I really appreciate. I, I said we weren't going to talk too much about strategy, but we've talked a lot about about strategy. Is the ultimate objective here for non, uh, you know, to make this a nonprofit enterprise rather than for profit? I mean, or is we, that even being considered? Make the Nonprofit rather than for-profit dialysis clinic. Oh, should they be nonprofit rather than for-profit? Or is that too big a question to answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, the industry is eighty-five percent for-profit, so that's quite a reformation. <laughs> that's beyond what right. we proposed. Well, we've certainly <laughs> raised a lot, a lot of issues here. I really appreciate both of you taking the time and sharing your expertise. And thanks, thanks very much. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.